0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where we talk about culture, relationships, society, and dating from a male and female perspective. Really tackling a significant topic today, the absence of religion and its consequences, its societal, social, even individual consequences. Uh, But before we get into that, let's just have a chat. How are you, Eliza? You good?
1: I'm good. I'm... um... I'm getting there. I'm I'm tired. But yeah. overall, good.
0: So Remy's still a bit ill? Or well, he had his yeah. vaccinations, you said?
1: Yeah. Which is so, so he's fine. microchipped? Yeah, probably. <laughs> um yeah, that's that's really about it. It's just
0: Bill Gates controls him now? Yeah. In a some mind, of mind that. control.
1: <laughs> Hopefully now, at least he's protected from the measles. <laughs>
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't even know what they injected. I literally didn't even check what what the vaccinations were for. But my friend has um a baby and because he's in daycare and he kept getting sick and sick and sick, she kept delaying you're not allowed to get vaccinations when you're unwell because it makes you a bit more unwell. Mm-hmm. And because he was constantly sick, she started getting like letters from the government, emails, calls, like all these things about like basically saying medical neglect because she hadn't vaccinated her child at six months, but she was only like, it was like seven weeks late or something. It's pretty like I thought that, you know, it was, I mean, not morally, but I thought that it was legally fine to be an anti-vaxxer. Yeah. But now I'm like, what happens? I actually don't know. And I haven't ever come across mm. that working in child protection. So I don't know. It's
0: it, can I, Is it true that I know nurses come and see new mothers every now and again? Um, but is it true that they teach you about sex positivity and they teach you how to raise a good, a good way to raise the children into a sex positive environment? Or is that just something?
1: No. I mean, I had all the like aftercare and actually had more nurses coming for a longer amount of time than usual. And I engaged with like the community health center. I probably did more than the average mom in terms of post-birth engagement with nurses. No one's ever (laughs) said anything like that.
0: Oh, Well, Well, they
1: talk about a safe house a lot. I got asked like 30 different times in my pregnancy, have I experienced abuse, emotional manipulation, all these things over and over again? And a lot of surveys on my mental health and how I was coping and all these things. So it's very, they're very on that, which is great, I think. Yeah.
0: It's a lot, isn't it? It's, 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 well, this could be a good segue into the topic because. It, it's it's a lot, and it's all from the government. Whereas, I suppose historically it would have been a family around you, an extended family that would have been helping the, the the new mother and the new parents, and checking in on on
1: yeah the
0: new parents. Yeah. So it is different when it when it's from the government, and and you know I'm sure these nurses are all wonderful people, and it's still it's it's a bit impersonal. It's their job to do that, and there'd be some nurses who were super stressed on a Friday and. You know, are they going to do as good a job as a an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, a sister, a brother? Um, what do you think about something like that? Do you think do you think because you I know you've been raising Remy pretty much. I don't know how much help you've had from an extended family network. Uh, do you think it's better, you know, all things considered, if you have an extended family network to uh, help raise a, a young baby or
1: yeah, I do think it is. I think that it does take a village for most people. And like, I have that accessible to me. Um, my mom's offered to, to nanny or babysit for a couple of days a week if I work. And so has my mother-in-law and they come and visit all the time, but I haven't taken them up on that offer. Cause I'm like, I don't need it. And my mother-in-law is always like, I'll come babysit, and you can just rest and and it's like, I'm like, I don't need it. It's fine. Um, you can still come see him and hang out with him alone or whatever, but like you don't have to do it for my sake. But I know that a lot of mums are really envious of that and say like, I wish that I had someone offering to um, help me or be involved. Or so often I see on a Facebook group of babies that were born in the same month as Remy, um, People saying, like, no one remembered his birthday. No one gave us anything for Christmas last year. Like, no one's come to visit and it's I forgave birth three months ago. Uh, My parents live 20 minutes away and they haven't even met him. Like, a lot of that, um, really a lot of sadness about that. So I think that innately most women um, or people that have given birth would crave that, community sense. I was definitely an outlier and that I didn't because I was just, for like months, the first like six months, I was literally breastfeeding 24 seven. Like it was constant. I didn't want to go out. I couldn't drive anywhere. I couldn't do anything because I was breastfeeding. <laughs> so when people were like, I'll take him out and I'm like, what for 40, 30 minutes until he wants to be fed again. <laughs> I can't, I can't do it. Did you see my Instagram post the other day? And it was like, cause I counted feeds I fed, no. in 11 months, I fed Remy over 4,000 times. <laughs>
0: Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that crazy?
1: 700 hours I spent feeding Remy, breastfeeding wow. Remy in 11 months. Pretty crazy. That's like, crazy.
0: That's a lot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. God you big damn. boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um,
0: this reminds me of something actually, um, Louise Perry, and uh, uh, I I want to come back to that and get your thoughts if you finish the book as well. But she talked about how traditionally there was a point where uh, once a woman's given birth, she goes somewhere else and rests for 30 days and then the yeah. extended family in the village care for the baby. And then that was always interpreted as as a sort of sexist thing where we're just got to, you know, re- relegate the, the dirty woman who's just given birth and her, her body has changed and we've got to sort of take her away for a while when her interpretation of it was saying well she just needs a rest it's her body's gone through a traumatic situation and she just needs time to recuperate and rest and allow the extended family network to uh, raise the baby what do you think about not just that but just some of the societal norms that, and we'll we'll get into religion eventually, but some of the societal norms that we no longer have that have forced us all to become a bit more individualistic and maybe just rational about a lot of these and, and rely sometimes on the government a little bit more. Mm, Broad yeah. question, so, you know, take your time. But, yeah, yeah what are well, your thoughts on that?
1: I guess to go to your last point first before it, exits my head (laughs) I think that it there's a lot of pros and cons to being individualistic because I did find that I had a lot of nurses involved with me uh, post-birth which I thought and that I gave birth um, through the public system which I won't do again Um, but I will say like the amount of support that government provided me was phenomenal and there was so much available to me They come to my house every single day. Then they connected me to the center that's like down the road and no existed. I can go on any day of the week, get help. I can see pediatricians where usually that would take years. Anyway, um, so I think that that's really important. But the other thing is as well, when it comes, when you're talking about like that, talking about sex positivity or whatever, and that education aspect, I really, really struggled because every single time I saw a nurse, everyone would tell me something different and vastly different. And it would give me so much anxiety. Your baby has jaundice. He's not jaundice. You don't have milk. He's eating too much. He's eating too little. It needs to be on formula and breastfeeding, like all these things. I was a mess because I was like, I have a tiny newborn in my hand and everyone's telling me something different on what to do. And it was so confusing. So maybe, but then again, I was going to say, maybe it'd be better to have just one. But what if I got the one that was telling me all these things that weren't true? Because I, I had a, um, a nurse coming out every day and she she told me – so basically I'm going to talk about boobs for a bit, but when you get like breast milk and you put it – so you put a pump on your boob to um, get milk out so you can get it in a bottle, when you've just given birth, their tummies are the size of like a Malteser. So it's normal to only get like 20 mils of milk out – But my nurse was looking at this bottle with a centimeter of milk at the bottom saying, oh, my God, you don't have milk. You need to be topping up with formula. This crazy. Then the next day a nurse comes in and she was like, why are you feeding him so much? You've got, you're have got putting him on the boob plus giving him express breast milk plus then giving him formula. You're overfeeding him. He'll be in so much pain. His tummy's too small for that, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, I'm not getting milk. I've been told I don't have milk. I was on medication for it. Every single nurse that came over was squeezing my boobs to see how much milk was coming out. And then finally they sent out a, a, a lactation consultant, like a specialist. And she was like, yeah, which is like a full like qualified job and they're very expensive too. And she was like, honey, everything's fine. Just pop up on the boob. That's it. Every two hours. So that first nurse got it wrong. Yeah, they all got it wrong. They all were like putting me on medication. I spent $1,000 on different pumps because she was like, this one's not medical grade. It has to be a hospital grade pump to get more milk. And I just didn't know that that much milk is not expected until a few weeks later or months later. Actually, I never even got to that much, but clearly Remy was in the 99th percentile for weight. Like clearly he was getting enough. He was a huge boy. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it was just very different and it was so confusing. So I think that I don't know if it would have been better to have, like, the a, a family surrounding me at that time or whatever, and my my family did really want to come and be involved, but I was so um, – like so fatigued and exhausted and my recovery, I had a C section, my recovery was so rough. And the first time my friend came to visit me, sorry, TMI, this is a bit gross. She came to visit me and I was so drugged out, like I was on the heaviest painkillers. I couldn't even see her. I was just holding my baby, I hadn't slept in like since he's been born. For and surely
0: they understand you know, they're not yeah, coming to visit you were. thinking they're gonna get yeah. a normal social conversation. Yeah.
1: And then yeah, and I I actually I literally bled all over my yellow couch, like excessively. And she just cleaned it up for me. It was great. And then my next friend, my other friend came and she brought her um fiance who I really love, but it was so hard to be like, okay, I'm sitting here like topless, breastfeeding, like I can't think about it. It just was too much for me to be. Like, I just wanted to be alone, <laughs> basically. Mm. Um But that is a thing as well. Like I actually know of a girl or I know a few women that have had babies and it's like for 42 days or 40 days maybe I think they stay at home and they have the mother-in-laws and their mom and dad stay with them or either one of them and they don't leave the house. They don't even do a walk. They literally don't. And I think I don't know if it's just cultural or religious belief for that, but a lot of it also is they believe that you don't want to expose your baby to all these things while they're so tiny until 40 days and they've slightly better developed immune systems or whatever. So I do know people that um, do that. And then I can't remember the rest of your questions now.
0: But <laughs> um, I well, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was just a broad <laughs> yeah. segue into, yeah, um, I suppose would you have, yeah, would you have preferred, it, it's very hard to answer something like this, but if there was a hypothetical Extended family network or community network that could have taken care of Remy while you were
1: oh yeah away
0: somewhere That's for the right. first for the first week or two or something like I that. I
1: have been seeing that it's I believe it's Korea and they come. It's becoming quite popular where they get a nurse and I don't know if it's a nurse or a doula or just a caretaker or whatever. And it's really cheap. It's government subsides most of it and they pay about two hundred dollars American whatever equivalent. And someone comes and lives in their home with them that's not a family member. So you don't have to deal with family dynamics for like two weeks or two to four weeks. They cook all your food for you. And she shows like these beautiful, amazing Asian dishes. They've served her cleaning. Then she's carrying the baby around, giving mom a break. And it's literally provided by government. It's amazing. And I first I saw it and I was like – God, that would be so good. But then also I was like, I couldn't handle, like, I wanted to be, I just had a baby and I was like, I was obsessed. I still am. But, like, I was like, I don't want other people looking after him and caring him. Like I could barely even hand him to Adrian. I just wanted him to myself for a bit. So to see, like, she says, oh, he. she does most of the care. Like, she feeds him or she changes his nappies. Like, I think some women would. that would be a godsend. No, maybe not for everyone, but I'm sure like you could say like, can you just clean my house instead? And then I've also seen something similar. And I think this is also in Korea where they have like a private hospital experience, but it's like, it's, it's not a hospital, sorry. It's a hotel, a post-birth hotel that you stay in for one to two weeks after you leave hospital. And it's just like very luxurious Food gets delivered to you. They're trying everything in Korea. Yeah, it's really interesting. Because
0: they are really uh, ahead on that low fertility curve. Yeah. yeah. And it's not working. There's still not many people having children there, but that sounds very interesting.
1: Yeah, Mm. and it's been really, I mean, for those that are having kids, it's been really well received. And every video I've seen on it has been saying like it's just been – the greatest thing and so much support. And I didn't even know about how like mother's group or play groups work around the Central Coast. No one, or even Sydney, no one told me. And then I was looking up like play groups on Central Coast on Google and there was nothing. And it wasn't until I spoke to a nurse on the very last day, which most like people don't have this nurse come out for that often. And she was like, by the way, you can call the centre and they add you into a mother's group um, for six week old babies or whatever and I was like oh wow and then every time I met a mum after that that was local at the park or whatever I always asked them like did you go to the community health center did you join a mother's group and they're like I didn't know that was a thing in fact the other day actually I met a guy at the park he was there with his kids same age as Remy they were getting along really well dad was really nice and um he told me that they had moved up from Wollongong and they didn't know anyone here. She's, I was going to give her career away. It was probably too much information, but she um, has gone back to work part-time. She's got a one-year-old, don't have any friends, don't have family up here, don't know anyone. Mom's a bit lonely, whatever. And I was like, oh my God, I'll see her. Take my name and number and give it to her. And I um, never heard. <laughs> I never heard from her, which is kind of sad. And then I was talking to my mother's group and they were like, yeah, if my husband came home with some woman's number that he met at the park, I would not be messaging it either. And I was like, oh, okay, fair.
0: That was a micro-cheating example. <laughs> yeah, not that I was micro-cheating. Okay, well, I guess uh, maybe bringing it back to the topic of this podcast, religion, do you think not just with religion, but it's a certain cultural code or or a religious code that really values family and and birth and motherhood, do you think that is also a huge incentive for women to want to have children, but also a way that it can sort of ameliorate the existential crisis many millennials feel, which is, okay, do I actually want to have kids? What what do I need to do? we're, We're... inundated with these big existential questions, which were formally answered for us by, more often than not, religion. So I know you've had, you know, various uh, thoughts on that. And from an external perspective, it it does seem like today, particularly in cosmopolitan areas, you know, women have this kind of existential thought track going on as well do I, do I have the kids I'm, I'm doing really well in my career all of these sorts of things so do you think we lack something like that that previously religion gave us which is just the clear pathway of what to do
1: yeah uh, yes and no because I would say like Prior to having a baby myself, I did not like receiving messages like that about how your life will find meaning when you have a child and this and that. And I feel like it actually turns women off having kids at at some points where it's like, okay, so I'm just a baby creating machine or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And even though I don't feel that religion glorifies it that much because the disadvantages to women are so significant, even in Australia where we get paid like 18 weeks um, leave. That's only if you'd worked for a full year, full time at a job. I don't know what happens if you hadn't prior to that. Um, I feel like there are m- so many disadvantages. Like say even me, um, Adrian and I were engaged, but we're not yet married as far as I'm concerned We don't, we're not doing a prenup. Maybe we will. I don't know. I actually even talked about it, but um, I'm sacrificing. I've been off for a year. I want to take another year off work and I want to have more future children. How much, how many years have I sacrificed in my superannuation fund that I don't get access to that money? What happens if we split up? And I had lost four years of income across if I have two children plus, four years of superannuation, all these things. And I feel like a lot of women are saying like childbearing can be such a disadvantage to women and there's such a load to carry on with your career, the household, the management and wanting to be equal standing with men. If people feel that babies prohibit that and being like, I don't want to be stuck at home 24-7 with a child, I don't want to lose my identity and it does happen as much as like Some people say, like, oh, it doesn't change your identity. It does. Like, my whole fucking identity feels like it's about my child. But that has been something that I actually find that I really, really enjoy. Like, this is the part that I struggle with internally is that I actually – do understand now when people are like oh when you have kids this is how you'll feel like and i would be like shut up now i feel that way (laughs) Like now i'm like oh my god this is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me hands down i want to do it a billion times over like this is just so magical to me i love motherhood and then yeah there's that ethical kind of like well i can see yeah the both sides of the coin um, for that and I don't necessarily think that religion is gonna offer that sense of direction or motivation or deep even just having a deeper meaning like I'm creating more more children for for God or whatever to allow into his kingdom I don't know but yeah it I don't think so but anyway um I guess, as, to put it in a nutshell as well, like the reason why Neil and I were coming across this topic in in particular was just thinking about how, what what is the impact of that absence of religion when do, what do we take meaning from in our life now? And is, especially when you're not, people that aren't having children, good, fair enough, whatever, but is having a successful career giving these individuals enough meaning and purpose in their life for for utter, like utter fulfillment? And a lot of researchers, philosophers, academics are coming out and saying that without religion, millennials and Gen Z are going to struggle so much because it's actually something that is needed within a community. And when I looked up before, I was looking up um why religion is needed. That's just the simplest search, whatever. And it was all young people on, on TikToks talking about how religion is so bad and so detrimental and we need to be stepping away from it and really like anti-religion, like all these videos I was coming across. And by the way, I'm not religious. I don't believe in anything. Um,
0: the one you so, sent me wasn't. It was. It was. She was. What was it? she studying? She was saying the opposite. Yeah, yeah she, she, was she
1: was saying was the opposite. Sort of
0: touching on Nietzsche's idea that there is now a yeah. lot of existential dread because yeah we don't have that um, existential meaning that often comes from religion.
1: Yeah, exactly. And she was saying that there is now a a loss within us in our psyche, emotional, whatever community as well without religion because we don't have a lot of. Um, traditions, rites of passage, scriptures at school, church on Sundays, we don't engage with these things, having a child go to a Baptist school, places of worship, ritual that was so essential to humans to connect with the community, connect to a higher being or higher meaning and feel that life has purpose. So she's talking about the essence of nihilism where you feel that you reject religion and you feel that life has no proper meaning, is she believed directly linked to higher rates of suicide, depression, anxiety um, and and feeling at a loss and more and more people questioning, well, what's the point?
0: I agree. Why I, are we here? I agree yeah. with her 100% and I think yeah. the big question that we have to answer is how do we fill that religion-shaped hole because a lot of people are still discouraged at the idea of organized religion as they currently stand, Uh, then the question becomes, how do you fill that hole on a community level, on on a national level? And I think that question is even more important uh, than how do we uh, mollify the effects of climate change. Or They are the two biggest questions to face this century. I would even put that one as bigger. I really think that one's vastly important. And I think certain secular creeds have attempted to fill that void. So nihilism might be one of them and then nihilism can often come hand in hand with hedonism. So let's just try to maximize our pleasure as much as possible and create these sort of rational justifications of it. Um, Social justice, though there are some obviously necessary uh, foundations of that, it it has morphed into a religious style of um, of ideas. And there's a wonderful book by an academic called, mind blanking on his name, it's called uh, John McWhorter and it's called Woke Racism. And he talks about how much of the ideas of modern social justice can actually be traced to a very similar Protestant Christian mm. uh, theory of being that there's this sort of original sin based on your privilege, and it's your job to see the truth and be awoken. I woke to that truth. And anyone who questions that, even if those questions are somewhat valid, they're actually questioning the truth and challenging you and actually solidifying the sort of evil world that currently exists. And it's a fascinating book and I co- vehemently recommend it to everyone. Woke Racism by John McWhorter. And, he's, and if, it, if it helps, he's an African-American academic. Mm. Um, New Age Spirituality yeah. is filling the void as well crystals yeah. and meditation. And look, yeah. I'm all for that. I think yeah. in moderate doses, I love all of that. Yeah. And well, not the star signs, but <laughs> that's you. You you like that sort of stuff. But um, the big one would be social justice that seemingly, and, and you look at sort of the ads that we have now, they have a almost a religious-like feel to them. When you see, I've seen ads for McDonald's and KFC where they've just, someone's announcing to her family that she's pregnant and there's this beautiful piano playing and yeah. then it has the M at the end and you think, this is weird. This is almost trying to tap into our really deep psychology where we're yearning for some sort of deeper meaning. And, you know, what are we going to do to fill that with Big Macs, but... Oh, well, right now, probably.
1: Well, actually, yes, yeah. that's, that's what <laughs> yeah. we are doing, indulging. Exactly. Yeah. So It's the era of indulgence.
0: Yeah, yeah de- decadence. There we go. Th- thought about yeah. the Roman Empire. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so this is just, I think that is the question of our time. How do we fill the religion shape hole without actually turning towards the religion that we've all, many of us have decided is no longer fit for the world as we understand it today?
1: So this researcher, I I should get her name actually because we keep referencing her, but she provided some suggestions for that and basically she said what you were just saying, that one thing that's really important and that has been really helpful and great is finding meaning through activism and you're so right when you talked about that social justiceness and it does very much feel at some points um, like a religious community. Like when I was really into like the vegan community, I'm still vegan, but when I was involved with the vegan community, I went to vegan events, I had vegan friends, I had a vegan housemate, and Earthling Ed was like everyone's fucking god because he was so well-spoken and he had so much evidence and blah, blah, blah. And literally he has like a cult following this guy because there's nothing – Nothing extreme about him. He was just a nice, gentle, you can look him up, calm guy that would sit and talk to people out in the park and be like, what are your thoughts on this? Yep, fair enough. Did you know this? And it was literally like a religious following. So I do think that it – and she's, to be honest, she is saying this is what she recommends, not going vegan, but finding um, an activism, finding something that you can – find further meaning in outside of your bubble and it's amazing like what people are so in their own center of their world and they ignore or forget about everything outside of them or they don't involve themselves with the community they don't do volunteer work they don't do these things and you forget about like gosh when when I hear people say like even when I just talk about my work sometimes people like you just forget the world is really like that you don't even know that and I'm like, yeah. well, not if you volunteer, not if you did like one day in a soup kitchen or whatever. Like there's so many opportunities to involve yourself in those things and learn about them and, find, yeah, find a meaning. Like you have the resources. What Maybe you have a purpose here to do some good. Maybe that's going to be the meaning. The other thing she said as well was um
0: Can I jump the, in real quickly? Yeah. I, I do have to say I've got a few points of disagreement with her because I think we've seen when people make those secular points of activism – into a religious-type creed, it can get to a point where it actually makes things worse. And it, it yeah, it's like becomes a, a self-fulfilling prophecy where if you think that this is an you know irredeemably uh, evil system that we live in, you act in a way that manifests that. And yeah. I think you, we have to be very wary about making things like that into a religion, into a point of meaning, and into a point of personal identity. Because once something becomes a personal identity – As soon as you hear contradictory points, you're just immediately going to rationalize why that person is not only wrong, but why that person is actually immoral. And we've all been in a conversation with someone like that. And I don't think it's actually healthy. And I don't think it's actually what is going to best benefit the cause that we ultimately all want to achieve, which is as much equality of opportunity for all people. And I think it actually can make things worse.
1: I think so. I 100% agree with you, even just on a psychological level, like thinking about when you, when I was like passionate about, when I still am, but like really passionate about the environment and veganism, all these things, I was like fuck it, I, so frustrated and so lost every day thinking why aren't we doing things? Like the world's fucking ending. Like <laughs> everything's gone to shit, all this technology and stuff like it's really depressing and I was like actually I'm much happier to have live in ignorance which is shameful like now I now I get myself educated and have the knowledge of it but I don't for my sake I don't go out and fight all those battles feeling like I have to have this huge voice in the world to advocate for those things because it just was like it felt I don't know fruitless at points like I'm like well this is I don't want to be fixating on what the world is missing all the time.
0: And, and it's not only that because once you've made it a personal identity, you, you then engage in a level of confirmation bias where you're only looking yeah. at evidence that makes yeah. it seem like it is an existential emergency. And look, in a lot of these situations, I'm not saying that it may not be an emergency, but you are incentivized and inclined to see things that could potentially be a lot worse than they practically are because then that fulfils your desire to be the saviour. And I I see that a lot in race relations where someone, there's the concept of the white saviour and someone will really try to hone in on a person Mm. of colour about how much of a victim they are so that they can feel a sense of righteousness in saving them. And the the deep irony of that is they become often quite racist in the way that they're talking down to the person of colour. And that is what I've experienced a lot in the – particularly in the arts industry. I think that's really rife with those types. But um, I think that's where a lot of my ideas about how the extreme conception of these creeds can actually be much more harmful than they are beneficial.
1: A hundred percent. And the same as well with like a a massive example – is the disability community and there's something called the social model of disability where basically in essence it's that when we are constantly pitying and feeling so sorry for someone because they're in a wheelchair and thinking oh I must drop a lasagna over they don't have legs or whatever or they're disabled you're thinking it, you're being altruistic but actually you, you're insulting someone's autonomy and sense of purpose by thinking they're much more disadvantaged than me. I should feel sorry for them. Um like in the sense that when uh, who was it? Was it Tony Abbott? I think. No. I don't know. But basically so, I can't remember it was years ago, but someone said they had um an autistic son. Oh it's Kevin Rudd and he was like, I'm sorry to hear that. And she was like why? Like don't be sorry. <laughs> like A lot of people have autism. A lot of people are neurotypical. But when you're actually disadvantaging the community further Hmm. by acting as though it's something that is so sad and debilitating and um, needs to be looked at with pure compassion all the time. Like, yeah, people that are in wheelchairs can also be dickheads.
0: There's a lot of, it is a sort of pseudo religious signaling when you see, particularly yeah. in corporate environments where there are a lot of, uh, whether it's, you know, the welcome to countries or the, it's the, the marketing yeah. campaigns or it's the constant imagery that's saying, we are inclusive, we are diverse, we are this, that, yeah. that. And it, I think it fills those people with a sense of purpose because, especially if you work at like, a, you know, if you work in an oil company, if you work in any sort of major corporation, I'm guessing there may be a sense of um, spiritual void in in what you do, whereas I'm sure if you work as a nurse or if, you know, you work in a profession like you did, you can always fall back on the fact that, okay, when my work gets stressful, look at what I'm doing. I'm doing something quite meaningful. And I wonder if deep down people who, I don't know, do the marketing for Coca-Cola or something know that it is, relatively meaningless spiritually meaningless what they're doing and so they latch on to those things and they say okay on every cocaine, and we've got to put this symbol we've got to put this indigenous art we've got to do this and then it gives them a sense of purpose rather than is that actually what is helping the cause that we all want yeah. to help
1: yeah yeah you know it's my brother literally works on advertising for coca-cola um <laughs> and, and you said he, he left didn't he yeah he's leaving he's like i've it's just not like feeling good for him. Um so yeah, it's it's so true. And it I saw on Reddit um around the time of NAIDOC Week where someone it was on the Ask an Australian Reddit and it was like indigenous people of Reddit. How do you feel about people putting up um all the signs everywhere all the the acknowledgments of countries, the speeches about it. In my work, it was, I mean, I guess in child protection, it's particularly important considering the history of Australians' child protection and the stolen generation, it's really important. But there is, we do hours upon hours upon hours of training every year about the Indigenous community. We have people come in. We do acknowledgements countries for every meeting. We have signs about what land we're on. We have to know what net land we're on at all points, basically. Um, and it, it, in some ways, actually, it was really beneficial because over 40% of the kids we worked with were Indigenous and we would – they didn't know anything about their um, history or their family lines and we would find those things for them. But when Adrian's work on, on NAIDOC Week, they came – they his big bosses or whatever had a meeting and were like, we need to do more because we haven't done anything yet. So Adrian was assigned with the task of it and he came to me and he was like, you guys have done this a billion times. Like, what should I do? Should we do like an acknowledgement to country and their tradies? Um, should we have like – um assign the work should i put a poster up about Nadoc week should we get like some food or whatever and and then i saw this post when i was looking it up i saw this post on um on reddit about it and a lot of Inti- indigenous people were saying like it feels so tokenistic that you do this for one day and then feel good like cool i've contributed but what have you actually contributed other than acknowledging you know that Indigenous people exist and then do nothing else after that day or whatever. And then Adrian was talking about how they decided they were going to get an um, Indigenous man to come to their office and cook um, some, you know, classic Indigenous food or whatever. And part of me was like, I feel like I wonder how that Indigenous man feels going into an office full of white man, white men, To cook food for them because it's NAIDOC week (laughs) and but also good that during NAIDOC week you're putting your money to Aboriginal corporations and organizations so I felt like there's two sides of the coin there um but it is like people will do things like that all the time or donate five dollars to this community or post something on their Instagram and feel like I'm doing something really great here but you're not and sometimes you can be doing the opposite as well
0: yeah and it comes bit down to i think that religion shaped hole where this yeah. is fulfilling a lust for spiritual meaning in a hyper secularized hyper secularized world and there are customs and uh, traditions that are now emerging that are a sort of reincarnation of that particular culture's customs and traditions but integrated into a weird almost corporate sort of environment and i i you know i i wonder what will happen in the long term but i also uh wonder how we can otherwise fill that void you know, with customs and because I remember when I was a kid, we, we always sang the national anthem. And I think nationalism is very, it's similar to religion in many, it, it's, you know, yeah, it's, it's a yeah. sort of greater collective idea that we're all a part of. And I doubt many schools sing the national anthem today, every day at an assembly. And just things like a daily ritual with, uh, you know, prayer um, and customs and and dress and and dances and that's something that many people just don't have and i think they want Mm -hmm. uh but they don't know how to get that
1: yeah exactly and it's like think about christmas and easter they are they are religious events but it's that traditional um it, does, it doesn't give us a sense of meaning but it's a tradition that brings a lot of people closer together and it's so important and so essential and people find so much enjoyment and meaning in it and are there versions of that that aren't religious? Like where where do we have rituals and where do we have places of worship without um, religion and w- what are the rites of passage if you're not going on Walk about or if you're not going to become, I don't know how it works, you get baptised and then Holy Communion or whatever, what happens, what's the equivalent of that for people that aren't religious? And I, I think it's also important to acknowledge the reason why people stepping away from religion is because, one, they feel that it's unbelievable, then what's the evidence? Or, two, there's a lot of religious mm. trauma associated with um religion, restriction, rules, um abuse oh, and especially trauma against the lgbti community, of course.
0: Totally and and that's yeah. absolutely true, but I don't think we can have a collective consciousness and collective ideas that bond us all together without some form of rules. And and what those rules are, I don't I don't know, but Say something like, you know, that originally if you look at the just the very – and I'm not a religious scholar by any means but some of those early things which are like, you know, thou shalt not steal. Well, that's a good rule and that could be a rule that is in any kind of new religion and, you know, with New Age spirituality or social justice, there are in a way rules to that. So, you know, you have to check your privilege. You have to uh, acknowledge that and you have to do certain things and I just don't think any kind of creed – that bonds us together can be completely void of rules. I'm not saying that the rules that were in the previous creeds were good. In fact, I would say the opposite as well, which I think you'd agree with. Many of them. Yeah. Many of them were good. uh, But I, I can't think we can have personal, you know, unlimited personal freedom and then also gain a sense of belonging and community I just don't think those two things can coexist.
1: I think though, there are a lot of parallels between we are in some ways bringing religion, psychology, well-being together, and this woman that talked about she studied the impact of nihilism on millennials and Gen Z, and she wrote a lot of research papers about it, and she was saying one of the things that she recommends alongside. um well, that's a positive alongside activism was the re emergence of philosophy and also um, the science of well being that people are so invested in improving their well being and improving their psychology and understanding themselves more. Whereas we know more about ourselves than ever before, which has been a really positive thing. Um, and in some ways, that has been an essence of finding meaning as well in our lives. And that's, yeah, like that is a positive thing, I guess, but the parallels between new age spirituality or these self-help gurus and things like that. It's really fascinating to see like how we are, we we've, you know, we're anti-religion now, yet we idolize these people that are basically talking about religious values, especially like Buddhism and things like that. Like even, um, my dad in in the 90s was wildly popular because he wrote a book called The um, Little Book of Calm, and he would go all around the world doing conferences and group meditations to thousands and thousands of people, and people were mind-blowing about it. He was on TV, radio, blah, 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 all these things, made a lot of money. but. It's like well meditation isn't new. <laughs> meditation <laughs> is like one of the oldest existing traditions of time and and of of communities and religion and culture. But now because it became trendy it was yeah. This whole movement and we do get swept up in this like self-help self-guru things like
0: effective altruism is in Yeah. Of yeah. Mm. But
1: and we and we are turning towards things I do feel like people are seeking out these things, or if not, when we're not seeking out these spiritual aspects of ourselves, we're indulging ourselves with materialism or we're being overindulgent. We have a sense of, like, emptiness a lack of meaning. We're turning to pleasure. And another point that this woman made was we have such a numbing to death. Like, people don't care about it. There's no meaning to it. Like, whatever, who cares? And when there's no meaning to death, then what is the meaning to life?
0: And there's a podcaster called Andrew Sullivan, which I'm a big fan of, and he has a podcast called The Dishcast, and he has conversations with highly regarded figures in America on these very similar topics. And And he's a gay man who's also a Catholic, and he the way he sort of you know integrates those two things into his psyche and his personality is very interesting. And he made a really interesting point once, I think it was a few years ago maybe, but it stuck with me, and he was talking about how a large component of Christianity in particular is care for the downtrodden. But that can get to a point where it becomes bastardized where there were there were times in, in Ireland where they would look down upon anyone who was even remotely successful. And as a result, it fostered a culture where people didn't even want to try to achieve and didn't want to try to work hard and make a lot of money because yeah. they thought, well, then I'm not going to get into heaven. And you can almost see a modern Australian conception of that in the idea of tall poppy syndrome. Now, there's some benefits to a culture of tall poppy syndrome, but I think some of the downsides are that, okay, people don't want to try to aim for something larger or grander because they could be called a dickhead by their mates at the pub. Whereas you look at America, who were all the Protestant immigrants, they don't have that culture at all. They're all about success. And then the downside of that, without their sort of maybe some kind of tall poppy s culture embedded in their national psyche is that you can have a lot of arrogance and a sort of celebrity obsessed culture but then because they have that protestantism and that's still a large part of the american national identity they also have an ability to ameliorate some of those um potential uh aspects of arrogance or yeah. uh, obsession with success and then he made the point to say that okay what we're seeing with many of these modern concepts of social justice and the more critical and when i say critical like the 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 social justice that's predicated on critical theory rather than liberal social justice which is all about the individual and affording the individual rights critical social justice is about how the collective society at large is in the 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 prejudice or the discrimination is embedded into the norms and ideas of that um society in a weird way, you can almost have a similar idea uh, uh, or culture emerge where people are actually they they're really hesitant to say that they may be privileged or it may not be monetary financial privilege as it was with the Catholicism in Ireland, but it may be like, oh, yeah you know you, you talk to people like this who are like oh i'm yeah i'm, I'm i am white and oh, i'm so i'm so ashamed of that and just just so you know like i and that's not i don't think that's helpful i don't think obviously people shouldn't be going around saying like yeah i'm so proud to be white or whatever but yeah. there's there's a bastardized version of this uh, care for the downtrodden which we see emerging in this pseudo spiritual pseudo religious social justice culture and then you look at things like mental illness, for example, which has now, we've t- done a lot of podcasts on this, where it then can become a part of someone's identity. And what we want to do with many types of mental illnesses is say, like, all right, this is something you're dealing with, and we want to acknowledge that and validate that. But here are the steps for you to get better and to improve. But even that can be seen as a form of attack or as a, you know, a. a, a an invalidation of uh, someone's personal identity because if you have a society that's very care-driven towards the downtrodden, which again this is all very nuanced, because you don't want to have none of that at all, you can incentivize people subconsciously to amplify how oppressed or how downtrodden they are. And I actually saw someone on TikTok. Uh, it was a it was a it was a black man talking about. He said it in a very Direct and abrupt way, and he was like, "Oh, all this modern, all these modern ideas about mental illness and, you know, different identities about gender are just a way for white people to feel oppressed." And then huh. it was stitched by a couple of people who were actually saying, "He said it in a pretty harsh way, but there's a cert, there may be some truth to that." And I think that's also a, another. It's a very, because again, it is really nuanced, and it's not something to yeah. discredit everything yeah. that we've achieved, but there are elements of that that I think are
1: true. Yeah, that's an interesting theory. I definitely think there would be elements, but also like it's something that I feel I even want to be careful thinking about or because you don't want to discredit like the LGBTI people or, or trans people, et cetera, being like, oh, you're just trying to find a way to become oppressed, but it is an, it is an interesting perspective, I guess, or an interesting theory or idea that could have definite elements of truth to it. Yeah, and people, I guess, I makes another point that people are finding meaning in being oppressed and are people putting themselves intentionally into oppressed states so that they seek that, so that they re- receive that sense of, uh, one, identity or and, two, community and... Uh, um, involvement that religion almost offers. And, and where... that was
0: one of Nietzsche's big criticisms of um, religion, where it was like, okay, you got to be careful not to fall in love with your suffering because there are, that's yeah. what religion does. It helps you deal with the pain of your suffering because there's a greater meaning and a purpose. But then it, the negative consequence of that is that it can make people actually develop an identity of like, yeah, this is me and I'm yeah. suffering and that is forever how I will exist. And there are, yeah, there are ramifications for an idea like that.
1: That's so interesting. Yeah,
0: But I also, yes, I want to say, look, this is a very nuanced and delicate conversation to have and it's not a, yeah, let's just get rid of this or get rid of that or bring this back and bring that back. There's got to be some sort of um, very finely tuned new ideas that emerge.
1: And the other thing as well is like you can understand why like there's there's a trend going around on um on TikTok where people say all the time I don't understand how people get sucked into cults and or I know I'm confident that if I were indoctrinated into a cult I would recognize the warning signs and be able to leave blah 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 but when you look at like what we've been talking about. You can understand why people do get sucked into cults absolutely, because they're searching for a sense of meaning and connection and a higher purpose and a, a being to worship. And um, Adrian and I are watching um, World's Toughest Prisons, whatever it's called, and, like, a lot of them love to go to church. Even when they're not, like, religious, it's, like, something they do every single day. The inmates go and sit in the chapel in the prison. Um and it's so important to them and so meaningful to to them. And it wasn't something they ever did prior to being in prison, but now it's like essential to them. So it is this innate desire to connect in those ways. Even like um the uh, last weekend I had um I invited my friends over and their husbands and or partners or whatever. And it was kind of sad. But the men and the women segregated the boys are talking about sport. And we were sitting in a different room and I was like, let's do tarot card readings. So there's five of us sitting around in a circle. It's like a woman's circle. We're doing tarot card readings all for each other and we're all therapists. We're all psychologists, whatever, like highly professional, not that spiritual people or whatever. And it was such a nice moment. And when it's not like we were looking, thinking like, thank you angels for sending me this message, but it was an interesting analysis on what we interpreted from whatever. Um, So I just thought that was so funny, like how, and afterwards we were like, Oh my God, I feel so good. And then we all kept messaging afterwards being like, today was so nice. And it was like, so special and blah, blah, blah. Like, and it kind of was like, and I was thinking it's like, because we did like a fucking women's circle, like women's business, almost like it's that used to be a thing where Indigenous women still, like Aboriginal women do that a lot where they have women's business. And we used to have like witches (laughs) or people that there's still like communities (laughs) at the moment that do like a um, celebration of the cycle, like your menstruation. And um, Mm -hmm. so many. I haven't seen too many that exist for men, but my mum just came back from one in Uluru literally like two days ago. Um, some spiritual th- women's thing. So it's funny how that that is really appealing to us and enjoyable. And it's and I experienced that myself. That afterwards, I didn't even do like it wasn't even about the tarot cards. It was just about like we were all like sitting meditating for a minute, and we all like it, you always feel like high afterwards. It was so like euphoric um, and such a unique experience that. They were like, oh, I never get to experience things like that. And you can see like how impactful it could be for someone to be sitting in a church where they are so in that moment and believing it or a temple or whatever. Absolutely. Um, and the group rapport, it's amazing. It's
0: I saw a, I saw an interesting take online where uh, she was talking about The way often people go to, she was Indian and she said there's a lot of people who go to India to go on a spiritual Mm. journey and really get immersed in the culture and the spirituality and the Hinduism and her take, which was quite funny, was imagine if Indian people um, did the same thing to uh, white people's spirituality, go to like a Baptist (laughs) church and you know, <laughs> I, I, I go go to Hillsong and then and talk about it as though it's a deep, yeah. meaningful experience. And what I find particularly interesting is that in the in the West there has been this mass turning away from the traditional Western forms of spirituality and religion, and then this new awakening towards these Eastern forms of religion yeah. and spirituality. But a lot of the things that made people turn away from those Western ideas. Tiers of spirituality and religion are not non they're, they're, It's not like they don't exist in particularly, yeah. in, I, I can't speak for um, indigenous spirituality and their ethical codes, but in Hinduism, what do they say? The husband is like God, and they're not particularly fond of LGBT either. So, all the many of the reasons that people turned away from religion here it still exist exist in many of these new um, forms of spirituality and religion thing is, that is they're that no turning. No one's
1: into. acknowledging that this that this is Eastern philosophy and eastern medicine and like people like put put um I assume you wouldn't believe how often I see on Facebook when someone's kid is sick and they say put onions at the bottom of their feet <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah no <laughs> one wants to acknowledge where these ideas actually are coming from.
0: Yeah and and the parts of those ideas that are also not in line with the current code of ethics that has developed in the more secular world you know it's um it's it's the same thing where like i i know a lot of this comes from a place of wanting to mollify some of the discrimination that certain countries have yeah. um exhibited in the past, but um you know and I, I this is a strong theme in my comedy, but I always think it it's interesting how people will go after Christians and Christianity a lot but they'll never go after uh Islam and in many ways, particularly in some of the more modern conceptions of Islam their anti LGBT rhetoric is far stronger and they're quite harsh towards that particular community and I understand it's it's probably like just deeply uncomfortable for people to do it because they think, all right, how much of this is me being potentially racist? Uh, but it, it, it's, it's a very interesting – I just find it very um, particularly interesting that there are a cadre of more modern enlightened people that will be very reticent to accept traditional Western forms of spirituality and religion but then be very inclusive towards um, Eastern or other – uh, religious ideas, which often do have, um, you know, facets that may not align with progressive notions of ethics. Um, and then one thing I wanted to touch, I wanted to ask you about as well, is I saw a clip that was from Q and A, and there was someone talking about how women in, in you know, the, the women's movement today is sort of measuring their success based on how men used to measure their success so like okay how many of us can we get into ceo positions how many of us can earn as much as a man or out earn a man and her point was okay we need to we need to measure success based on our own success and you know why shouldn't it be that the woman who might be a housewife or, or has had three children and may not be particularly successful in her career is that not a form of success and um, the clip went semi viral I might not be articulating it as well as I I can but the, I think the basic gist is there um, what do you think about something like that
1: yeah I hundred I percent completely agree with like it's really hard to talk about because you don't want to come across saying like feminism hasn't been a hundred percent amazing or whatever but I I, I flip-flop even just myself between both of those parties where one part of me is like, I want to earn a lot of money. I want to be very successful. I want to own my own business. I want to be the CEO or whatever. And even just being on mat leave, like I struggle sometimes with those thoughts being like, oh, I should be back at work and I should be like succeeding more. Like it's, I've taken such a big step back, taking a year off doing nothing but then and I have to like check myself and be like this has literally been the best year of my life. Um, it's
0: interesting I'm, as well that you'd say something like do, use the phrase doing nothing um, when you've yeah, probably worked on yeah, hard. It is
1: again, my own internalised misogyny. <laughs> like exactly. I'm not doing nothing. <laughs> doing so much. You're raising a child, managing a household, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, yeah, it's like we have developed such a culture of feeling like if you're not contributing to the finances or career in society, then you're lesser than or not as successful. Um, And I think, yeah, I think it's really a harmful thing. And we, of course, need to define our own versions of what success is, but it's it, uh, it seems to be a really common thing that people define success as what the materialistic, like, well, I've got yeah. a lot of money and I've got a nice house or whatever. Like that's how I can feel successful. So that's, um, that's sad. And then I think about it as well, like the clients I work with and their definition of success is safety, um, or having a functional relationship or having a meal. And it's so, it's so different. Um, mm across the board. So yeah, I do think those things can be obviously it's beneficial at times, but also harmful. And it's sad how much gender has an influence in in these things and the patriarchy, whatever, like about our ideas of success. Um yeah. It's a it's a rabbit hole. <laughs> mm.
0: Yeah, and then there's elements there where you have new cult-ish leaders merging now on, on I guess there's male red pill space as well and there's a religious-like following around that where, you know, any kind of criticism towards them is seen as someone who's whatever, part of the matrix or, you know, whatever you want to call it. And... That's what happens when people are void of meaning. They they fall for these cult-like charismatic leaders and politics as well becomes the realm of the spiritual and it's not about, okay, let me just rationally try and decide who's got the best policies here that are going to not just benefit me but are going to be great for the country long term. It's, okay, who do I emotionally connect with? And who's representing me and who's my team and who's my tribe? And I think that's very unhealthy in the world of politics because politics should be as secular and as just rational as possible. always There's always going to be some degree of that. But I think we see more of that. I mean, like, you know, Trump is basically a religious figure to many Americans and you cannot really – get that out of him but then he's also the devil to many americans and it's uh he 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 has brought about this kind of almost religious either obsession of him or religious just absolutely anything he he could possibly do is is irredeemably evil and we're seeing that not so much in australian politics yet but i i have a suspicion we could get to that point soon um you know, celebrities and and musicians have a very – I've always thought this. I've never really gone to a music festival and every time I see footage of a music festival, I, I think about footage I've seen from a big Hillsong convention and I'm like the music festival looks far more cult-like than the Hillsong convention because there's these lasers, there's this light show, everyone's bobbing their head and yeah, was me, I was probably yeah, on drugs, yeah. having a religious – Tribal type yeah. experience. They're all in unison. They're all mimicking the sounds of the of the purveyor of that emotion, and they're you know they're seeing someone that they deeply admire and means a lot to them. And in, yeah, uh, for a long time, c- celebrity I and mean, this this really started in the '60s and even before that a little bit that entertainers became the new religious figures.
1: Yeah. Yes, that's so true, and I think as well now that when people aren't searching for something outwardly, there there is that they're either one completely numb to everything and not doing things and just trying to find empty ways to fulfill themselves, like we said, like through materialism, etc., or otherwise they're so hyper fixated on themselves and their psychology and their own individual journey that it becomes your it's almost like you develop a narcissistic view of self where everything is about what, how you impact this person or how this impacts you or, or whatever. And you never think outside of yourself and understand other people or really connecting with them as well while you're on your own spiritual journey. Um, So there it's funny how it's like, we're all in some way meeting that need but some are healthier and some are not. Um, yeah. And it's so important to think, okay, this is an actual biological innate human need within us. How are you meeting it? What are you doing? Are you doing nothing other than sitting on your couch consuming porn and and fatty food or whatever or alcohol or drugs to feel something? Because
0: then you'll get hooked by a cult leader and you won't <laughs> realise it because what you said yeah. earlier is like how... Everyone thinks there's no way I'm too smart to fall for a cult leader. You you don't realize. Yeah. It's it happens yeah. slowly. You know, it's not like yeah. the first day at the cult they're like, "Hey, drink the virgin's blood." They <laughs> they tell you how amazing you are. And they they probably give you food and they probably are very generous to you and then it's like 3 months in. All right. So you got to run around naked or you got to do something a bit weird, but you're like, "Okay, this is a community that loves me. I trust them. Yeah. We're going to do it." And then who was it? There's a good comedian. I've forgotten who it was, but they all they it's such a funny joke. It's like every cult just ends up in the guy having a harem of women that they he sleeps at <laughs> every single one. Literally. It's either that or it's a mass suicide cult. And his joke was like, all right, if I can't if I can't sleep with them all, we're all just gonna die. <laughs> and it's <laughs> Yeah, dark joke but very, very funny. Um, and, you know, to end on maybe a slightly lighter note, do you remember that actress from Smallville, Alison Mack?
1: Oh, yeah. And
0: then, oh, that interview I saw with her talking to that Wait, guy that who's cold, in that cult. I forget what it was called. It was one in Hollywood. They're all in California in America. And, uh, you know, there's cults still operating today. This is, this is Joe Rogan now. But there's a cult mm-hmm. still operating today. And she, I have never seen such a grown adult, extremely successful. The way she was just transfixed to this guy who was just, you know, he's not. Nixon. Yeah, he's somewhat handsome. He didn't look particularly. But she, and she's very attractive, still, you, you know, I'm sure a very intelligent woman. And she's there just looking like a giggling schoolgirl talking to this guy. And tweeting yeah. at other female celebrities saying like, come, I've got to, she didn't directly say join my cult, but, you know, come and um, I'm going to introduce you to some people that it's a, it, and she'd use this cloak it in this kind of language, like it's an empowered network. Yeah. So, you know, the language used was very. Yeah, and then people respected
1: her as a celebrity. So they're like, okay, there must be something special about this. And then it became like this pyramid scheme of sex work. Remember when they were texting being like, you need to remove your underwear, you need to do this, you need to have sex? They would – everyone had like a – a subordinate or someone below them and they would text them demands and then that person would text someone else demands. It was like, it's crazy. It always comes and, down
0: to something sexual and about power. Yeah. Every I mean, let's be honest, every religion too.
1: Everything is about sex and power. Everything is
0: about sex. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, what it comes down to.
1: Literally. Yeah. Mm. But you never know. Like things like that get, like you said, it's, it's so easy to say you never do it, but you have like, you go in and you have this amazing experience. Like I remember when I, when I was, I think I talked about this recently, so sorry for being repetitive, but when I was studying um, life coaching and we did a, I think it was like when I was doing hypnosis or something and they, the instructors wanted to talk, like uh, show us how it feels like other ways to transcend and be in a state of hypnosis outside of doing hypnotism. Mm -hmm. And he created like he put us in a sweat lodge, which is um, like I think it's Native American, like a tent where you increase the heat massively. And I believe traditionally you're probably taking drugs or whatever. I don't know how. I actually don't know how it works traditionally, which is probably bad. But so we're, we're all in here. It's steaming hot and we've all closed our eyes. And this guy's literally putting like hypnosis, which is essentially he was putting us in a state of meditation and suggesting things to us. And I've never touched drugs in my life. But I swear to God, I had the craziest trip of my life. I didn't know that I was sitting down anymore. I thought I was floating through space. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know what was up. I didn't know what was down. I was just literally floating amongst the stars until he ended it. And it was the wildest thing I had ever experienced sober. And then I looked around and everyone around me was like, holy fucking shit. And then immediately I was like, I respect this guy. (laughs) let's do it again. Like it was crazy and like you can understand it. Like you have that one thing and you're like, hang on. Like what if he had, I mean, hopefully I wouldn't be this susceptible to it, but what if he had told me that that wasn't just a transcending meditation technique or hypnosis technique, that was God speaking through me or whatever because I felt in that moment I wasn't sitting in a chair. Like I would be like if he had told me that, I might have been like, oh, actually, yeah, because I was fucking floating. That's not normal. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's makes sense where people think, what is it Scientology believe, like the giant lizards or something? or <laughs> I can't remember. Like come out and destroy the world. I can't remember, but it's weird.
0: There's something called the stoned ape hypothesis, which posits that 70 or so thousand years ago, our ancestors then discovered mushrooms or whatever. And then for a couple of generations... Or they just consumed tons of mushrooms and that's what evolved our brain to have this spiritual need wow. or to have this, um, you know, abstract spiritual essence that can, that's our big thing. We don't necessarily, because Neanderthals actually had a bigger brain than us, but we were able to coalesce in larger groups and think abstractly and that was how we eventually took, well, let's be honest, took over the world um, because we're not the strongest animal. We're not. We may not even be the smartest, Uh, but we had the ability to think abstractly and think, and have this kind of spiritual element to the way we thought. And
1: isn't that fascinating? If that's like accurate, and just think like how everything in nature plays a role. And here I yeah. am getting spiritual, but like it's well, yeah. like wow, <laughs> mushrooms. Like that's
0: yeah, it's a hypothesis. Potentially,
1: potentially evolved. Yeah, <laughs>
0: but it's pretty <laughs> that's funny. Wild. I mean, this star day. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, food for thought to think about in in this one. Um, I I thought that was a really good one. That was one of my favorites. I hope you guys liked it too. And do you, do you have any final thoughts? Any anything to say?
1: Literally, not one thought can come to my head right now. My brain is exploding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, hope you guys liked that one. Share the podcast. Uh, give us a good review. Um, if you didn't like it. Don't leave a review and follow us on socials and uh, we will see you next time.